Welcome to the School of Travels podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. I'm so excited to be back with you after deciding to travel around the country of Georgia for most of July. And I had so much fun that I decided I'm going to share my experiences with you in episode 23. So please wait for that. Look out for that. But for now, for episode 20, da-da, 20, I would like to bring you an interview with Nathan Wright, who I met in June in the town of Bonsko, Bulgaria. Nathan was so exciting to talk to because not only has he just started his journey as someone who is location independent, but he also knows about such a wide variety of things. We talk about everything from how to get better sleep to things to pack for better ergonomics to nomad relationships to the importance of and benefits from cold plunging, which Nathan's very passionate about and you will learn about if you don't already know. He just has such a large wealth of knowledge. He really defines himself as a biohacker, in addition to being a geography professor and an English teacher and so many other things at the same time. So I think you're really going to enjoy what Nathan has to say, and I will talk to you at the end of the show. Welcome to episode 20 of the School of Travels podcast, and I am very happy today to be joined by my new friend, Nathan Wright. Hi, Nathan. Hello. Thank you for joining me. Yes, it's great to be here. Nathan, I was so excited to hear your story, um, I guess just last week, when you told me that this is your very first place that you have been as a digital nomad here in Bonsko, Bulgaria. Yes, yeah, it's kind of strange seeing how it all came together and actually like being here now on this side of it, but it's been a long time in the works, it feels like, and um, I'm just like really pleased with it all so far. I also was uh, drawn because I heard your accent and I, I said, that sounds really familiar. You sound just like my brother-in-law. And can you tell everyone where you're from? Yeah, so I'm from Kentucky. Um, I like to claim myself from Louisville, Kentucky. If you're a local, you'll call it Louisville, but it kind of sounds like a mouthful, like you're swallowing your tongue. So I was trying to be a little more eloquent when I'm traveling. I try to say it in how it was originally created, which is after, I can't remember, King Louis the Fifteenth or something from France. So it actually is Louisville. But yes, I grew up in a small town called Hodgenville, Kentucky, a little farm town about an hour south of there. But I've lived most of my adult life uh, in Louisville for school and work and other reasons. So We grew up in very similar places. I'm just an hour and a half by car from where you're from. So it's nice to have somebody from such a similar background and similar place oh, yeah. um, here. So, okay, I'm, I really want to hear your story. I want everybody to get into this story of how you got here. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. So... Um, I'm a very curious individual. I'm always trying to be learning and reinventing and changing things, challenging myself. So becoming a digital nomad and an international traveler or entrepreneur, if you will, is kind of the current chapter I'm working on or like one of the grand prizes that I've been coming after for a while. Um, I have a background. Uh, my undergrad was in marketing and I worked in sales for about six years for a logistics company. They're actually huge in Cincinnati, so you probably know TQL. I think I have heard of it. Yeah, yes. they hire like everybody in that area. So that's where I started. Um, after graduating U of L in 2010, I moved to Cincinnati, worked there 
for uh, a couple, about six years in total, but I was in Cincinnati for a year. And then we came back and founded the Louisville office as uh, five, like essentially five managers. We started that and seeded it. Then I went to Denver for a year. I wanted to go back to grad school, but I also wanted to try to get out and see the world a little bit more, travel out of the Ohio River Valley. Um, Denver had a lot of good things going on at culture wise and stuff at that time. So I went out there for a year. I, I tried to apply at uh, UC Boulder. I wanted to switch out uh, from business and sales and stuff and get more into science. Throughout my 20s, I really opened up and progressed and changed a lot with different experiences and travels and really just want to have a bigger impact on some of the, the big issues happening in the world. So I looked at a lot of things and settled on geography because it's so diverse and it incorporates many different skill sets across multiple disciplines. So I thought it really applied to my curiosities. So I went to, to Denver hoping to get into UC Boulder. So I was still working at TQL there, but I didn't get in. So after a year, it was still good. I transferred back to, to Louisville to go at UofL. That was my backup plan. So I did get into UofL. Went there for three years while working, I finished up grad school, and about a year after that, I've just been putting in the efforts to, to figure out how do I travel and, and go abroad, and after a good little stretch, here we are in Bansko. Yeah, so what are you doing now to sustain this new lifestyle? So um, as I do, I teach online, and I have two gigs mainly. Um, I'm continuing teaching online for University of Louisville um, as essentially an online college professor. Um, it doesn't meet in the summer, so I'm off at the moment, but uh, it was something I had when I was on scholarship there as a graduate assistant, and I just stayed on after that, after I ended my academics there. So I'm doing that, and then I just started teaching English online, you know, TEFL, uh, through VIP Kid, which is just one of the more well-known companies, just as a starting point to kind of cover the expenses, pay the bills, something I don't have much overhead, and I can just plug in, make money now. And then that also allows me to set my own schedule, uh, work really part-time, just, you know, whatever I want to do weekends off. And then from there, I'm just slowly starting to to push myself into more passion projects and things I want to do, like blogging and e-commerce and stuff that I have kind of on the uh, the next few chapters. That's so cool. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of ideas. And I know that this place, so let's talk about this place in Bonsko for a moment. What led you here to Bonsko? Yeah, it was actually quite fortuitous. Um, I was looking at a lot of other places. I had studied abroad in undergrad uh, in Austria. It was about 10 years ago. Well, maybe not quite, eight or so. But it was a great time, and that was my first experience ever traveling, like ever flying on a plane, ever leaving the country. Like, really? yeah, so growing up on the farm, it was a big difference, but it was something I always wanted to do. And it kind of all the stars aligned with, you know, getting a scholarship at school to cover a good part of the expenses and kind of all just fell into place at, kind of at the last minute, and I went for a summer. And it was like the best experience of my life up to that point by far. And it really opened my eyes to the rest of the world and made me curious, kind of get that travel itch. And I only spent a summer, so I felt like it wasn't quite long enough to really like explore all the places I wanted, and it just kind of set that um, that goal for me. So from there, I, I took that experience and was thinking, okay, now I've learned about digital nomads, you know, I've read the four-hour work week, all these things, like this is possible, I can do this now, but where do I go? So I was looking at some of the more hot spots like Thailand and Spain and other places that are, you know, still relatively affordable, but maybe not quite Bulgaria, but not quite off the beaten path, uh, have a little more hype and, and you know, substance there. But um, I was dating a girl a couple summers ago and we were talking about doing this together and she was researching other places to go just being curious and she stumbled across Bulgaria and, and Bansko. So um, she showed it to me and I thought, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. You know, I like the mountains and is it really that cheap? Like, this is unbelievable. So I um, researched it more, found a couple uh, podcasters who had been there and listened to their episodes and some of their YouTube videos. And I, so I really just started putting the dots together and I thought, you know, Thailand would be great. It's kind of like the Mecca. This is where a lot of the energy and the startup scene and just everybody else is there. But I thought I kind of really want a more of a European experience, especially during the summer because it's nicer in the summer. 
So maybe I'll just put Thailand off until the, the weather changes. And um, yeah, it just kind of all worked out. I mean, I joined the Facebook group for the, the co-working Bansco and saw the posts and some of the events. And I was like, is this really like this is what they do? So I, after several months of just waiting and researching, I was like, yeah, I think this feels right. So I just went with it. Was there a certain reason why you chose the timing that you did because the summer was starting and you were done with the teaching at the university? That is a good, a, a good essentially milestone, I guess, but because it's pretty passive what I do teaching online, it doesn't really matter if I'm, if it's in semester or not, doesn't require that much distraction. Um, more or less, it was just, I was ready to move. I was ready to do it. You know, I had finished a lease at the place I was living and had to, you know, had to move out with a, like roommates and had a big issue with all that, with different reasons, complications. And so I was staying with my parents for a little bit and it's just, I was wanting to do it earlier, but you know, it takes many months to sell all your possessions and get your passport updated and research where you're going to go and get certified to teach online and find a gig and all this stuff. So it took me a solid year of like not, and not like going crazy because I'm trying to work two jobs while doing this. But um, yeah, it, it just felt like I really wanted to go for the summer and I wanted to get out. And I knew if I kept waiting, you know, maybe you meet someone or maybe your relationship gets serious or something and you get distracted and it doesn't happen. So I'm one of those people that's like, all right, stop making excuses. I've waited long enough. Let's go. How long have you been wanting to start this lifestyle, would you say? I mean, pretty much since I studied abroad when I was 22, so wow. about 10 years ago. Um, but I mean, like, like I said, I wanted to finish my school. I wanted to get a good job, make some money, pay off my school loans, save money, and then like do the corporate thing for a bit. But then I realized that wasn't for me. And so then I wanted to get a grad degree because I thought that would open up some doors for me traveling and working, which it has. Um, and you know, it's just something I wanted to accomplish. And so, yeah, it's taken about 10 years of many different chapters and, and odds and ends. Obviously I could have done it just on a whim before that, but it wouldn't have been the right time. I would have probably been sacrificing too much at that time. And I would have not quite been ready. I would have made a lot more mistakes and just been really uh, loose about it all. What did your friends and family say as you were preparing to move over to Bulgaria? Pretty, pretty solid uh, reviews and feedback overall. I mean, they thought it was crazy. They thought it was like, where are you going? They don't even know where Bulgaria is. They thought it was like in Africa or something. I'm like, <laughs> like no. <laughs> but um, they, they liked it. They knew I'd been talking about this on and off for years, you know, like telling people about my stories and studying abroad and kind of hyping up, oh, I just want to move and travel, you know, like, you know, I'm sure many of my friends can relate to the story because they've probably heard it multiple times. So they knew it was coming at some point. Um, but then, you know, when it comes, push comes to shove and they see that you're really serious and you're literally selling all of your furniture and all your stuff that you don't need anymore. And like, you're really going to do this. That's when they're kind of like, whoa, um, what I found living in Kentucky and growing up there is it, it doesn't get a ton of cross traffic either way. So most people that grow up there, stay there. They're very family oriented. They're not super curious or like jet setters moving around to big cities. I mean, it happens, but the, the amount of that is far less than some of these other big cultural hotspots like New York or California or something. So people are more homey. They like to be close to their family, their friends, aunts, uncles, cousins, all that. And same thing, we don't get a ton of uh, inbound traffic either. There's just not a ton of industry and other things bringing them there. Obviously, the Kentucky Derby is a big thing. For one weekend, people come from all over the world and party, but then they leave. It's not like people move there. So you don't meet a lot of people from other places as much. So when I was going to do something like this, I think for the local culture, it seems a little bit out of place. But I think people that know me and hear me talk and interact with me, they could tell that this was definitely something that I was meant to do. That's great. So when you went to Austria in college, was that... Um... What, did you just go to Austria or where did you go on that trip? So we were stationed in Austria. We had a host family. It was a great experience. 
Um, I went with a group of about 30 other college students. They were all from different universities in Kentucky. I didn't know any of the other students before I left. Some of them also went to University of Louisville. I just never met them. Um, luckily, I got paired up with a guy who was right at my age. And we ended up being like best friends on that trip. So it was like the perfect combination, even though like I had no choice. It just happened to be the right one. Um, so it was really, really good. We really bonded. But we stayed with host family. Uh, it was an older couple. Their kids had already, they were college age or a little bit older. So we stayed in their bedroom because they were no longer living there. And it was awesome. You know, they did our laundry. They cooked us breakfast. They were like really sweet, like, you know, like our grandparents kind of thing. It was a really, really great experience. But so we had um, classes maybe Monday through Thursday, I believe. Maybe it was Monday through Friday. I don't remember. But at the end of the, the last class, usually what we did is we would already arrange our trip ahead of time for the for the weekend. So we would stay in Bregenz, Austria, which is where our home base was. And on the weekends, we would essentially just take long road trips for three or four days and just go party somewhere. So I think we had five or six weekends there. And we went to places like Rome for a weekend, Vienna, Amsterdam, Munich. Um, and then we spent another weekend just kind of in the town and in surrounding towns. We met some local girls that were really awesome. Like we hit it off with them the first weekend. Like they had house parties for us and took us to the dance clubs the next town or just really like made us their own. And it just really helped enrich the experience because it gave us more of like a local like community feel as opposed to just the random tourists traveling on their own. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that you went out and saw as much as you could. It sounds like you did while you were there. Yeah, certainly. It was it was awesome. I mean, obviously, it just gave me uh, that, that that little nibble of something that I wanted more. But it was uh, it was it, we definitely maximized our time. That's great. So let's go back a little bit before that. What do you think first inspired you to travel or what was your first inspirations, would you say? I mean, I think it was just growing up and, you know, like reading books, watching shows, movies, you know, just curiosity. Um, you know, you see all these other places out there in the world and most of your friends haven't been to them or your family doesn't, you know, we would go on vacation. We would go to like Florida or South Carolina. We would drive to the beach. We never even flew. So it was just seeing so much more of the world that I knew was out there that I hadn't accessed in yet. And just being a part of a, like a university, like a college campus kind of feel, there's all these different, you know, art projects and different things you see and you hear about the you know, international study abroad fair and you see the advertisements and I think, Hmm, what is that going to be like? And I always appreciated Europe because it just has so much to offer. You know, the, the, the culture is so different in every country that you go to. The language is different. The food is different. The architecture is different. The art is different. And I just thought, man, like that seems like a really good hotbed with a ton of history that I know that would just set my mind on fire with all these questions and things I could learn. And I, it was totally up my alley. It was perfect. It's interesting that you went back to Europe as your first place after that time in Austria. So yeah. welcome back, so to speak. And you're going to Greece this weekend. Yeah. Right. Impromptu. Uh, one week trip with uh, some of the people from the co-working. We found a great deal, $2.40 round trip flight. So I thought, hey, that's pretty sweet. And uh, it's a chance to see a new country. And I have never been to the Mediterranean. So this will be cool. I can go swimming in the sea. And I can do it for cheap and with, with other friends as opposed to just traveling on my own. Should make it a little bit easier. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. And you cannot find a better flight deal. You're right. <laughs> yeah. I still like, is this real? Like, am I going to show up? They're going to charge me more? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and when I click, it's going to like triple in price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, so, okay. I know that you're alone here in Bonsco. Um, but have you, had you ever traveled alone before? Um, I mean, yeah. From like road trips and things like that. Um, occasionally. Um, but it's... M it would be like whenever I was like living in Denver and I would come home for a wedding or something like I'm traveling alone, but then I get there and I'm all, all my friends and family are there. So, I mean, I'm pretty self-sufficient and independent. I mean, I've been in relationships and stuff before where we go on vacation together or road trips and stuff, and that's great too. But I also kind of like just not having to deal with the extra, you know, 
fluff of another person and the conflict of schedules and things like that, it's kind of good to just do it on your own. I'm sure now that I'm international, if I, coming to Bansko, I knew I was going to make friends pretty quickly with the co-working. But if I was going to a whole nother place uncharted on my own, I could see where it would be a different experience. I'm not opposed to that because then it would just allow me to focus on work more. But at the same time, I think there's pros and cons to both sides. So I'm flexible. I like all travel anyway. Nice. So, and I imagine after Bonsco, you will be traveling alone to the next place and you're going to have to make new friends, start again. Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome, but I am talking with a few people here um, that also might be leaving around the same time. So maybe in, within a couple of weeks, plans will come together. Maybe we'll buddy up and go somewhere together. So I still have a few places on my radar, but I haven't you know, confirmed anything. It's kind of bittersweet because it's exciting to think about the next, but I still have only been here six weeks and it's been such a long time coming. I don't want to like wish this place away. I want to just be here and enjoy it. Yeah. But you know, on the 90 day visa, you know, shuffle that we have as Americans, you kind of always have to have your eye on the next place and getting, you know, get your best flight deal and what's the visa like there and how am I going to rent an apartment? You know, you have to do your research. And so it, it is, that is one bummer of it, but it's, it's not so bad. It makes it pretty easy with the internet now. So. Can you explain to the listeners the, the rules that we do have to follow in Europe as Americans? Sure. So um, Europe is divided mostly into two um, essentially travel zones. Uh, the Most people, if you're not familiar with it, the, the majority of con countries fall into what's known as the Schengen zone. So if, you know, without looking at a map or just using your, your mind's eye, um, it's most of Western Europe. So the line kind of falls uh, along the Eastern Europe side. So places like Bulgaria and Romania, um, and most of the Balkans are generally outside of the Schengen zone. So if you are in the Schengen zone, so most people would go to places like Spain or Italy or Germany or the Netherlands or something like that. All of those count towards the Schengen and you get 90 days out of a 180 day rolling total in that sector. So if you were going to go to Barcelona and you just want to stay there and just just great city and there's tons to see, it would take you more than 90 days. But let's say you're just going to hunker down there. After being there, the day your plane arrives, you have 90 days before you have to get out. And then you just have to be outside of the Schengen zone for another 90 days. So you can get 90 in, 90 out. Or if you do a little more frequent travel, it can get a little choppy with weeks blending on each side. But generally, that's the rule of thumb. Uh, here in Bulgaria, it's not Schengen, at least yet. They have applied for status, but I don't think it's anywhere close to being fulfilled, maybe a couple years away at best. So that's good for us Americans because most of us like Western Europe, right? I mean, that's a lot of the tourist places and a lot of the, the famous sightseeing and all that. But at the same time, you need another place to go if you want to be in Europe to kind of balance your, your, own, your, your visa timeline. So you could go to Spain and then you could come to Bulgaria for 90 days. And then if you want, you could go back to Spain or somewhere else. Uh, but within Bulgaria and these other countries that are not Schengen, you get 90 days within each one, I believe. So once my 90 days is up here in Bulgaria, I just have to leave Bulgaria. I can go to Greece or anywhere else in the Schengen, or I could say go to Romania or another non-Schengen next door if I still want that Eastern European kind of budget-friendly travel option. Okay. Thank you for explaining. That was very clear. Um, okay, now I'd like to talk to you about packing. Mm -hmm. So um, I often ask my guests uh, what unique items, three unique items they like to pack because this is your first big international trip. Very curious what you made sure to pack. Okay, yeah, I was thinking about this, about how, how I might approach something like this. Um, so I don't want to give cliche answers because, you know, you have several episodes now. People are probably going to give the typical run of the mill. I'm gonna take things that are a little more specific to me and that might provide a little perspective and, and maybe curiosities with the listeners too. So um, assuming that this 
podcast is geared towards digital nomads and other travelers that also work while they travel. So they're going to be bringing maybe a different set of luggage and, and belongings as opposed to someone just on a vacation, right? So for me, um, doing this on the road, hopefully indefinitely, there's my health is very important to me. And there are certain things you can do that are easy to travel with and that can kind of create a little bit of a buffer with things um, in that regard. So we spend a lot of time working at our computer. You know, ergonomics is a big issue we're setting. Sometimes we're slouching if we're not careful. And then there's even times on the long travel days where we're in a bus or airplane all day or in the airport, you know, it's not the best ergonomics. You know, I'm really cognizant of my posture and, and things because I've had different injuries and I know if I don't take care of myself, like you start to get pain. So one key thing for me is a foam roller. And again, you know, people laugh because it's kind of so simple, but I bought like a small travel size one. So it's like half the size maybe of what a normal traditional one is. But it's so important because, you know, your back gets tight, your legs get tight, your hips, whatever, from setting and all this stuff, you know, your shoulders from slouching. And I do this like every day, like religiously, like five, 10 minutes doesn't take long, but it's just like giving yourself a massage, like without having to go and pay someone or whatever, you can kind of work the kinks out. So I have one of those, it fits in my pack. It weighs like nothing, like an ounce at most, just a little foam thing. And I think that's really important because if you don't take care of your posture and like your, your mobility and flexibility, it's going to start to wreak havoc over the years if you're not careful. So that's one. Number two is I'm also, I'm also very cognizant of water, like water quality. Um, I typically don't like plastic, you know, obviously it's not good for the environment. It's not good for us as humans, you know, hormones and things like that. So I tried to consume as little as plastic as possible. And also like the tap water here is pretty good in Europe in general, much better than in the U S I don't think they fluoridate or anything like that, but there's still things that get into the water supply, you know, people throwing stuff down the drain or like old pipes and buildings and things. So I'm cognizant of that. I have a standalone, um, countertop filter. It's just like a little stainless steel tube is what it looks like. Just gravity. You pour water in the top and it comes down. Um, again, a place in Europe, maybe it's not as necessary, but when you go to other places like in Southeast Asia, where you're not supposed to drink the tap water, you know, there could be bacteria and stuff. These types of filters, um, it's called a Berkey filter, B E R K E Y. Um, essentially has an activated carbon, uh, filter that will grab 99 plus percent of all the microorganisms and everything. So you can actually take water straight out of the stream or river, maybe that you're not supposed to drink and make it potable if you, if you need to. Obviously I don't go to that extreme. I just use the tap water, but I think it's a great way to kind of keep yourself healthy in the long run. You save money cause you're not buying bottled water and stuff. It's better for the environment. So I think that again, small thing packs up right into your pack. It's about a hundred dollar investment. Really good. The last little gadget that I would recommend is one of these little laptop stands. Again, it kind of goes hand in hand with the ergonomic aspect. If we're gonna be working on our laptops and using them a lot, we need to be cognizant of exactly how, how our heads are positioned, our eye level, our wrists, all these things kind of wear and tear on us over time. And I saw these advertised through some Nomad podcasts and other things, other people working. And this one specifically was 10 bucks on Amazon. Now it's pretty basic. I think in, in the long run, I want to get one that's a little bit taller because I've seen some people at the office that have some that like bring it way up, but it really, really helps because you know, some people kind of get the carpal tunnel stuff from typing too much. It helps because it gives your wrist a little more of a natural curve. But I, the way I like it is that it helps me set up straight because when your laptop's like this, you're going to be crunched over as opposed to when you bring the screen eye level, it brings, it just naturally brings it up. 
I'm a big fan of uh, controlling your environment because I think our environment really has an impact on our habits. So when you can just make the smart decision in your environment, your habits become that much easier. Wow. Thank you. That's, I think, all very, very helpful things, even for people that aren't traveling. So, yeah. Now, I know you have a lot of, like you've just mentioned, a lot of interests. So you're a very curious person, you said. So can you talk more about, let's talk about health, because I think everybody is always worried about their health or very cognizant of it. So can you give us some more health tips, let's say, or some things that you've really found to be beneficial for yourself over the years? Yeah, certainly. Um, Biohacking, I know. You also mentioned, so... Yeah, biohacking. It's kind of a trendy word nowadays. Um, it gets a lot of publicity, you know, hashtags and stuff like that. But it's it's really cool because if you think about the modern world we live in, it's it's not really set up for success when it comes to health. Um, it's a bit easier in places like Europe and other places that, you know, they appreciate more of a, a traditional lifestyle. They walk more. They have more outdoor uh, meals and things with friends and, and spend more time in nature, stuff like that. But in general, I mean, traveling itself is not healthy. Like, let's not, I mean, it's healthy for the soul and the spirit, but for the body, let's not, you know, like, you know, mess around with that. Um, Flying is definitely very difficult, um, changing time zones, all this stuff. So I just think about all the little variables that I can and not to obsess or make it too difficult, but set systems in place and get a routine. I'm a very routine oriented person. So once I start seeing the benefits of something, it's very easy to keep it up. Um, So in general, like, obviously to start, Everybody is individual, so some a food or whatever that's good for me may not be good for you. It's just differences in our biology. But in general, I think there are basic tenets and templates that we can apply that will give us a lot of bang for our buck. So for me, I've, I've had great success doing a paleo diet or paleo style diet for roughly the last seven years. Oh, wow. So, you know, gluten-free, for the most part, dairy-free, uh, no soy legumes, things like that. Just get rid of all the processed and inflammatory stuff out of your diet. Um, you know, try to eat local, fresh, whole foods as much as you can. And it, it's just amazing how much better you feel. Just you wake up fresher, you have more endurance throughout the day, you can focus easier. Like you're not irritable riding the blood sugar roller coaster, you're getting that 230 feeling. You don't always need a snack. Like you're just stable. Um, and you don't get sick as often. You recover from injuries and, and workouts and stuff much better. So I found, I think, like nutrition and health in general is like one of the main core things because, I mean, as they say, you are what you eat, right? So that's like foundation number one. Number two, I think um, sleep is huge, hugely important because it's also the secondary thing that really recovers us and regenerates us from all the wear and tear that we get. So some basic things with sleep that I recommend that most people can do is try to sleep in a completely dark room. Like don't leave things plugged in, don't have your laptop open or your TV on. You know, if you got LED lights on like little like gadgets you have, whatever, just put a little piece of electric tape black over them. Light makes a huge, huge difference because when light interacts, especially blue light, Um, that wavelength, it essentially tells our body that it's daytime because the only time we see blue light in nature is the sky and that's coming from the sun. So that gives your body a signal and your circadian rhythm to start making certain hormones and enzymes that create energy throughout the day. Well, you don't want that when you're laying in bed at night, that you're telling your body the opposite signal of what's really happening. And so over the course of time, that really limits your body's ability to regenerate. Things like melatonin and all this stuff that people supplement, if they would just get rid of the blue light and cut down on the screen time at night, a couple hours before bed, they would see huge, huge results just in that alone. And that's free, essentially. Um, also trying to sleep in a cooler room, uh, getting the core body temperature lower at night allows your body to tap into certain regenerative um, 
systems essentially and you can't do that when you're hot i've had a little bit of trouble here in bansco because my room gets warm so i'm trying to prop the window open and find ways to hack this yes. yeah we've got no ac here right because yeah. it's a ski town i don't know if anyone if, if people realize that but we're living in a ski town in the summer yeah yeah <laughs> it has pros and cons right right yeah yeah it has pros and cons right right but um you know there's things like that you, you can do so sleep is really important um and then also just like exercise and just getting out early and getting light exposure in the day, I think also helps all these things synergize, right? So when you eat better, you're going to have more energy to work out. And when you work out consistently and do good workouts, you're going to, you're going to get more, you know, out of your body to where you're going to be tired so you can sleep. And then you're going to sleep better. You're going to recover. And it just kind of all catalyzes itself. So like I always try to wake up in the morning, get out, get some sun on my eyes, on my skin, take my shirt off, do a quick 20 minute walk or something every day. And that just anchors your circadian rhythm. So just like you're trying to be dark at night, you want to be really bright in the morning, preferably natural sunlight, because that's telling your body, okay, it's time to wake up. And when you're consistent with this schedule, you'd be surprised at how much better you feel. A lot of us are staying out late or always changing our schedules or, or, um, you know, like going to a party or having to wake up early and work. And we're always just kind of flip-flopping by a couple hours. And that makes it really hard on our bodies to get a rhythm. So the more consistent you can be, the better. Preferably in an ideal setting, I would try to go to bed shortly after sunset and wake up for the sunrise. Like I'd be naturally aligned with the sun, you know, solar rhythm. Oh, wow. But I have not mastered that yet. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, I guess it's one of my vices. I do like to be social, you know, and plus here in Bansko, I'm trying to enjoy myself. It's my first tri trip abroad. Right. I'm trying to meet people, have fun, do the events. So oftentimes I don't get in bed till 12, one o'clock. It's probably a safe zone for me. But at the same time, it's pretty similar to what I was doing back home because of a work schedule sometimes, like I was working second shift before I left. So I'd get off at 10 by the time you eat dinner, you know, you don't wanna go right to bed. So you stay, you read or whatever. It's about the same as what I was. Um, as again, it would be better if you were more aligned with the sun, but if you're, if you're not gonna do that, just try to be as consistent as possible. So if I go to bed between 12 and one, and I wake up between eight and nine, that's a pretty consistent thing. My body's gonna really appreciate that. Great tips. I know I'm sure all of us struggle with sleep sometimes and just feeling too busy, not getting enough of it. So yeah, yeah I'll try to take some of your tips, but I don't know. Do you have a black room? Do you have a completely blacked out room um, at the moment? I You've did. seen my red palace. I've got red curtains. See, this is, this is the conundrum for me as a, a quote unquote biohacker, someone that likes to be consistent and controls environment. Well, what happens when your environment's always changing? Cause you're living on the road. Right. I'm not packing black curtains, but there are cheap ways. Like, so you could even if you want to be hardcore about it, you could just get like black trash bags and you can like literally tape them along the glass to completely black out the one. Now I like the natural light during the day, so I don't do that, but I do have these big thick curtains. So I pull them taut and then I put things in the window seal to like push them against the window as much as possible to hold them in place. And then I took the extra set of curtains and laid them over the top because I noticed there was a lot of light coming through the top, like over the curtain. So I just stuffed them in the little rack that way it just, so I just create a little enclave there that gets probably about 90% of the light. Like, I mean, it's, it's good enough, I think overall. And then I just sleep with a, like a little eye mask on to hopefully do the rest and, you know, just things like that you do the best you can with. Yes. Thank <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Are there any other things that you've really feel that has given you a lot of benefit in your life that you have been studying and paying more attention to? Yeah, probably too much, uh, for a one hour podcast, but, um, <laughs> I'll try to share uh, what I can. So there's kind of these core pillars of life, right? Like we have our physical health. We have emotional health and mental health and obviously like the spirituality side of it too. I'm very curious on all these fronts because I see how they all synergize and how they all come together. But um, so like specifically looking at some of the more esoteric things like meditation, I find it incredibly helpful. I do at least one meditation uh, session a day, sometimes two. How long? Um, 20 to 30 minutes usually I think is a solid bet. 
Um, lately, I've been doing more of guided meditations, like audio recordings. I have a couple of podcasts and other resources that publish new um, new meditations every week, and I find them just super helpful to just tapping into like subconscious stuff and giving you good visuals and just working through some emotional patterns. Did you have to build up to 20 to 30 minutes, or um, did you just kind of jump in there? I think you got to build up a bit for sure. Okay. Um, I can't. I started meditating like way over 10 years ago, probably. So it wasn't as consistent then. Um, it's obviously been a process, but I don't remember exactly. It was probably just part of a, I think it was part of a yoga class and you finish in the Shavasana, you just kind of get that little 10 minute meditation. So that was kind of my first like kind of experience into it. But from there, I just started setting by myself and, you know, trying guided, trying silent meditations, doing things in nature. Um, and there's other things that are meditative that aren't just setting down, you know, going for a hike, you know, or some people find swimming or exercise or just anything that puts you in that flow state where you just kind of forget about all the noise that's in your head and you just get really hyper-focused on the moment. That's very meditative. And like when I go mountain biking, for example, you would think it's stressful, right? Like, oh man, don't fall off. Or what about this rock or the curve? But you're so in the zone because you have to know it's every contour so you don't, you know, crash that I found that very meditative. So when you come out of that, you're refreshed in, in a good way in your mind. Um, so things like that. Um, I have a, a daily yoga practice and mobility, you know, with my foam roller and stuff, but I do some basic vinyasa and sun, sun, sun salutations in the morning. Um, and um, we were talking about this before, but like the cold water plunges, I find that like phenomenal for when it comes to recovery and just pushing yourself. Can you go into more detail about that for people that may not know what you're talking about? Sure. So it's really kind of the school of thought um, known as hormesis. So what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Obviously, you know, that doesn't apply to everything, you know, but when it comes to mild stressors, you know, working out, lifting weights, you're really sore the next day, right? You feel like crap. Like if you were to measure that in a short period, you'd be like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm never doing that again. But when you look at it over a week or two week span as your body recovers, your, your metabolism changes, your energy changes, you know, your physique changes, you're clearly creating a positive benefit for the short term sacrifice. And I think that's really powerful because in the modern world, we live in this conditioned life. We live in air conditioning. Uh, we have cars to take us everywhere. There's always food at disposal. Anytime we have a little craving, we just feed. So I've been really tapping into the hormetic side of things where you do the, the more difficult challenges that you know aren't going to be so comfortable, but you just you, you force yourself to do it at first, but then you start to get the reward to where it's like this habitual pattern. So cold plunges are, are a, a main thing. Um, I used to do cold showers for the most part because it was just the least time investment, right? I didn't have to go somewhere. I could just do it at home. And it's part of my routine. But if you can fully immerse yourself in a body of water, it's that much better, um, I think. And luckily, um, a couple here that works at the co-working space had posted something a few weeks ago about doing the river plunges. And obviously, we have the great snow melt coming off the mountains, great fresh water. It's right outside our apartment. And it's it's pretty cool. It definitely gets the job done. So they started doing that, and I joined up with them. I've probably done... 70% of the last two weeks, like almost every day. I skipped a couple days because I was like waking up early hiking or, or I was like really, really tired. But other than that, it's, it's pretty much become a daily uh, regimen. And it's amazing. It's never comfortable. You never look forward to it and think, oh man, this cold, cold river is going to be so great. But you know that like when you do it, you are tapping into a, a hidden power that you didn't know you have. And there's so many benefits to your nervous system, to your metabolism, you know, recovering sore, sore joints and from muscles and things like that from working out. It's, it's great. Are you going tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I will. Can I go, can I go with you? Please. Yeah, please right. do. Yeah. It's going to be my first cold water plunge <laughs> in a river. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'll walk you through it, you know, hype you up. We'll do like some breathing and stuff beforehand, breathing exercises that get your body ready for it. Oh, wow. Cool. It's, it's really, really good. And then you, I know you're leaving for a week, so I'll wait for you to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I think in Greece, it might be hard to come across the cool water because it's so warm. So maybe I'll have to go back to the showers for a bit. 
But um, stuff like that, it's great for the body, but it's also great for the mind, the soul, like everything. I like. I'm sure many people have heard of Tony Robbins, phenomenal oh, motivational yeah. speaker, awesome guy. Walking on hot coals as well, right? He does that too. I'm not sure, possibly, but yeah. I guess this all goes into that same thing. Mm-hmm. You're tapping into a, a mindful space that you can be super present in the moment, but also you're going to a place where I find many people struggle. I've seen friends, family members, previous partners, romantic partners, and stuff, where if they give themselves an out or if they they try to negotiate with their mind, they lose that battle every time. Like. Oh, I, I was going to work out today, but uh, you know, I just didn't feel up for it or it's raining or they just any little excuse. They find a way off the path. I've been really trying to tap into the space that Tony talks about where you don't negotiate with your mind. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. Like you, once you start to give your mind that edge, the ego takes over and you're going to lose. So yeah. So building up a practice of cold showers is just a great way to fortify that resilience, both physically and mentally, emotionally, because it has so many more benefits beyond just being in the, in the river. It gives you that confidence and that, and that, sh- that shows you that, okay, maybe I don't need the dessert tonight, or maybe I don't, whatever those little voices, you can clearly say no, cause you are in control. So I think it really helps build up that, that mental muscle. Yeah, that's incredible. So and I'm sure you've noticed a big change in yourself by regularly doing it. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, it feels great. I look forward to it. Like I look forward to the ritual of it. Not saying I look forward to being in the water. Like there's still a little bit of a psych me up feeling when I go in, but every day it gets a little easier and we laugh about it and we joke. Like usually we meet up, talk for five or 10 minutes beforehand, share some stories or whatever. So it's kind of a communal, which really, really helps, especially when you're first starting. But there's just so many things like that. Once you start conquering one of these pillars or one of these obstacles, you can apply this to many more. Like I do like fasting. Um, so I, every day I do an intermittent fast. So this kind of goes back to the health and nutrition side. It's a great way to kind of reset the metabolism and work on other aspects of it. Humans weren't meant to eat around the clock. Um, it's just not how we're built. I mean, most of nature doesn't do this. There's famines, there's, there's weather issues. There's, you know, you're getting chased by a predator or whatever, you know, there's issues where you just didn't eat all the time. So um, I think it's really, really important from a health standpoint for us to take a break and let our digestion rest and focus on building up, you know, anti-inflammatory issues and all these other things that we have. So I do a daily intermittent fast where I basically eat in an eight hour window, give or take, and I don't eat anything in the 16 hour window. So that may sound complicated visualizing this, but I'll explain it. It's very simple. Basically, I skip breakfast. I don't eat my first meal until 12, 1, sometimes 2 o'clock. And then just make sure you eat your dinner before, say, 8, 9, 10 o'clock that night. Keep it in a compressed feeding window. You can eat as much as you want between that window, just outside of those ranges. Don't be midnight snacking. Don't have breakfast. Don't always be chasing that, you know, that craving. And again, when your body's getting used to this, especially if you're changing your diet overall and what foods you don't eat, there's a little bit of a learning curve, getting used to being hungry and whatnot, but it's just like the cold showers. You're not going to die. You're going to be totally fine. You just have to get through the mental hurdle. And as you get adjusted to this new thing, you free up so much time. I find that when I fast, because sometimes I do like a full 24 hour fast, like once a week, it's usually a goal of mine. Oh, wow. Just eat dinner Wednesday. Don't eat dinner until Thursday. You know, it's not that complicated. Mm-hmm. That way you don't ever go to bed hungry, but you get the full day. You, It's almost unbelievable because you think it'd be counterintuitive, but your mind is so clear and you have so much energy to put into your work. I find that like when I'm not digesting food, I'm lighter. I'm lighter on my feet. I think faster. I have more focus. Like it's crazy how much blood sugar changes our own lived existence. But we take it for granted because we're always just used to eating three meals a day or multiple snacks and oh, come have a coffee and come have a pastry or whatever that you just you take it for granted. But when you really tap into this other side of fasting, you realize like, wow, like, yeah, humans were meant to fast sometimes because sometimes we just didn't kill the 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 meat that day or whatever it was. So, so what 
improvements or what changes did you feel when you started the intermittent fasting? I don't know how long you've been doing it. I mean, so from a productivity standpoint, I think I touched on that a little bit. It just allowed me to be more focused and get more done and just get rid of the brain fog. I think a lot of people struggle with brain fog. I certainly did for other reasons too. But when I say brain fog, it's just one of those days where you just don't, you can't bring it. You don't have it. You're, you're trying to think of a word and you can't, you forget that word. And what was I supposed to do this day? And you know, you're just always distracted. Like that really gets abolished once you start getting into a more consistent fasting regimen. It's a little easier for guys than girls. And that just has to do with our metabolism and hormones in general. Um, but it, it's something that women can definitely do, but they just need to be a little more careful in how they approach it. Um, but that's a big part of it. But even outside of that, like digestion, um, like my skin has been so much better, just like clearing up. Really? Like, yeah, it's just like, it just feels supple and smooth and like, it's just great. Like little things like that, you notice a lot better. Um, I think it helps like, uh, obviously my physique keeps me a little bit more lean, not because I'm eating less calories because I still eat just as many in that window. I saw you eat a lot last night, Nathan. <laughs> I, I'm definitely hungry, <laughs> but I think just taking that break gives your body that kind of binary switch between digesting and non-digesting. You get to work on all the other little processes. Uh, so sleep has been better. You know, obviously it helps my meditation a lot too, because of just like that focus standpoint, you're in a little more lighter. You're not with all bogged down by food in your belly. You can actually get into like more of a spiritual Zen place, I think. Great. Thank you for sharing. I think that's really going to be helpful for a lot of people. I'm wanting to already adopt some of these things you're saying. Um, but like you said, we're all so programmed to kind of live a, the life the way that we've been taught since we were born and the way everybody else is doing it. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a big, big far cry for me, for sure. Growing up at the farm, you know, grand, we have like vegetables and, and livestock and grandma's always cooking something good and you just grow up eating. And I think if you're a kid, you probably shouldn't be fasting because your body's growing. Like it's a different thing. But once we get past that, you know, into our 20s and 30s, I think it's definitely, you know, very beneficial. I mean, if, so some of these things we're talking about, right? If you were to like look at this, the scientific evidence, like all the publications, how many peer reviewed studies and all like the outcomes that they have, and you were to look at the benefits of meditation or cold water exposure or fasting, and you were to put them in a package as like a pharmaceutical drug, that would be the best drug ever created. Like, I mean, stress reduction, blood pressure, anti-inflammatory issues, like, and it would be free. It's, it's free. That's what I'm saying. But everybody wants the, the shortcut. They want to take the pill. They want to just go to the pharmacy and not have to change their lifestyle. But in reality, it's the lifestyle changes that have so much more benefits. So I think like you said, and you touched on before, we've, we've gotten so comfortable. We're not used to challenging ourselves so much every day. Mm -hmm. And it's important to keep the, those muscles you know, lean and as well. It makes you feel alive. It makes you feel like you're in control, you're in power, and it's accomplished. Like when you can go through a cold shower in the morning, like, and you start your day with that, you feel like you can do anything the rest of the day. You're just like kicked off with all this energy. You come out with this rush and it's just, it's really rewarding. Well, like you said, you're inspiring. I'm going to try some of these things. I know sleep is, is one that I've struggled with and yeah, like get, get rid of the blue light and just start and the cold shower i'm excited tomorrow listeners i will i will update you on this after we do this <laughs> i'm gonna hold her to it so uh well, there'll be some picture or something to, to verify let's talk about your future travel plans where would you like to go next after bonsco yeah i mean now that i'm here and i've got all those possessions out of my way and like i've got the logistics set up with like you know making money online and you know have like uh, travelers insurance and all the stuff that you do before you leave it feels like oh man now the rest of the world's at my fingertips like it's, so cool. it's really cool. It's good and bad, right? Like it's good in the sense of the excitement and the wonder and the awe, right? Like, oh man, this whole world, I'm in control. My job comes with me wherever I want to go. It's up to me. That's really, really sweet. But at the same time, it's like, wow, now I have to research these places and it's a little bit overwhelming because there's so, you know, you get the decision fatigue in a way like, oh, well, there's too many decisions. So then it makes it hard. And you feel like wherever you go, you're always missing out on something else. But I try to be more mindful and, th and just enjoy the present moment. 
So um, wherever I go, I'm sure I'll enjoy it for whatever it is, pros and cons, because even life's challenges create opportunities for learning. So I try to look at it in an optimistic way. As far as specifics, I've got a couple of countries that are on my list. Uh, I definitely want to go to Thailand for sure and check out, you know, that whole scene, the Chiang Mai, you know, Nomad Mecca, all, all of that they got going on. But I think I try to plan ahead and be as careful and um, calculated as, as possible in a good way. So I know it's really hot there right now. So I think I'm going to wait until the winter season to go there. So basically looking at my Bulgarian visa situation, I have 90 days. So first or second week of August, I'll have to leave here. And then if I'm planning on going to Chiang Mai, most likely in, say, November uh, for maybe two or three months, I can get on that visa. I have a three-month window in between. So um, obviously, I've been picking people's brains. I've been talking to people, asking questions, and, and researching more on podcasts and whatnot, seeing where the next hot space is. I think I still want to be in Europe because it's still going to be a bit warmer late summer, early fall. Um, so I, the three places right now, I'd say at the top of the list, are Georgia, uh, Portugal, and the Canary Islands. Oh yes, I've heard great things for digital nomads about in all those places. And I, as you know, I'm going to Georgia in just a couple of weeks, so I will let you know. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, because you'll be back before I leave, so I can definitely get some feedback there. Portugal's wonderful as well. It's very beautiful. And I don't know about the Canary Islands. That's still on my radar as well. Yeah, all three have plenty of things going for them, especially for nomads. They have solid co-working and nomad scenes as far as you know, digital communities. But they're also pretty affordable compared to many other destinations, especially in Europe. Uh, they also have good weather, good nature, good amenities, so to speak. Um, and they just seem like culturally like where a lot of people are, are kind of going towards. Obviously for Georgia, there are other long-term uh, reasons to want to go there. Uh, just a couple weeks ago here in Bansko, we had a uh, financial planning, like a fire conference, financial independence, retire early was the theme. So it's about doing things um, and setting things up in your, in your life as far as how, not only earning and spending, but other aspects such as tax residency and, and other loopholes you can do to essentially accelerate your wealth um, accumulation that much faster. So one of the guys who was there who had a lot of great information to share uh, kept talking up Georgia as one of the best places to go for this because apparently they have a program or some way that essentially 0% income tax or maybe 1% income tax depending upon how your business is set up. So for us as nomads, you know, I'm not there yet, still teaching online, working for a company, but in the future, you know, if I get into blogging and podcasting and e-commerce and these other things where I can be my own company essentially, that's the way to go. So you can set up your company in these other countries. I mean, Georgia is just one example, but Bulgaria is good too. I think they have a 10% tax rate, give or take. So you do your research and find places. So if I went to Georgia next, it would not only be to experience the culture and have three months of living there, working and working on my projects, but also I would be like seeing what it's like to open a bank account and what are my options for this long term. So even if I'm not ready yet, I kind of have that groundwork laid out. So when I come back next time, I'll be that much more ahead to just pop in get the get the business set up, do whatever I got to do. So that way in the long term, I'm that much more. Uh, Did you know, Nathan, that you also are allowed to stay for one year I heard in Georgia? This. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You um, don't have to leave after three months. I know there's other places like, um, what's the other one here in the Balkans? Albania. Albania, yes. Yeah. There's a few others that have similar visa setups that are not like the Schengen uh, situation we explained earlier. The 90 days does not apply. But for me, I think I still want to do like, Slow travel, but not like super slow. Yeah, you just started. Like, yeah. oh, go to Georgia for a year now. Like, yeah, yeah. I understand that. I like the three-month buffer because it's long enough to really get in a rhythm, really experience a place, hopefully make some lasting relationships and, and experiences, but also not so long to where you feel like you're wearing out your welcome or that, you know, it's you didn't get a chance to see it or whatever. Like, I, I think it's kind of the perfect spot because it'll keep me moving. So if I did three months, that's four different places a year. 
which is enough to like make some rounds, you know, especially there's probably what 10 or so like true hotspots for nomads, I think in the world, give or take. So within a year or two, you'll cover most of the ones. And that gives you a chance to see what you really like, what cultures you fit, where you may want to decide if you want to eventually settle down or if you get in a serious relationship and it makes sense to buy a place, things like that. That's a whole other podcast, yeah, nomad yeah. relationships. Yeah, I'm learning this one on the fly. So uh, I heard a good, uh, a good quote the other day. Uh, one of our fellow travelers who was here in Bansko and she said, I asked her her approach to, to dating and on the nomad scene. She's like, well, the best way I can sum it up is I can't promise you a long time, but I can promise you a good time. Oh, I like that. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good because uh, if we're all coming and going on 90 day visas or whatnot, it does make it hard unless you can eventually pair up with someone and kind of integrate. But we have listeners we have seen those couples like yeah. it does happen but yeah there's of course like in any relationship there's compromise along the way yeah i think nomads in general are like the epitome of commitment issues because of like the moving <laughs> and everything but at the same time if you find that special someone then yeah i mean it's it definitely happens and i'm you know it'd be great i'm but at the same time i'm not one who tries to force those things so I think, like you said, live in the moment and, you know, be true to yourself first and foremost and love yourself. And then, you know, that's going to that's going to bring other things that follow. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent. Like if you build it, they will come. So if you build the life you want, the lifestyle, the freedom, the income, you know, the travels, the experiences, you just be your most authentic self and you really live in that moment and enjoy it. Then you're going to find you're going to cross paths with that right person. I mean, not saying you don't need to put in a little work to put yourself out there and, you know, be social and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, just everybody gets caught up in, you know, being lonely or they see the, the perfect relationships, you know, the, the Facebooks and all these like projections and they get that like weird insecurity, which is natural. I'm not trying to hate on it, but I'm saying it's another one of those mental hurdles where you have to be like, okay, like I don't have to force that, you know, and just jump into something. Just, just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's great advice. So I'm wondering like what if now you've just started and you've learned a lot from this like early process here of being yeah. a nomad. What advice do you have for somebody who might be from a place similar to where you're from that's scared or that has all these impressions about the fear, or the, you know, issues that travel might bring, especially solo travel or even starting the digital nomad lifestyle? What advice would you give to them? Yeah, I mean, it's really coming down into like, why? Like, what's your why? What are you doing this for? You know? Um, for many people, if you want to have a family and do that and, and, you know, buy a home and start, that's great. That's you. There's nothing wrong with that. That wasn't where I'm at at this point. I didn't appeal to me. So that's a big reason to push me out. But why, like, why are you traveling? What are you trying to accomplish? You don't have to have like all these grandiose answers of it, but it could just be you're curious or that you're tired of the same old thing or you're getting burned out in corporate life or you really want to know what this is like or you have this random niche, you know, like curiosity, like very specific thing you want to learn. Like maybe you had some things in Japan that were like really drawing for you, which most people in Kentucky probably never think about Japan other than maybe like video games or anime that just doesn't cross their mind. <laughs> but you had something there that drew you there. So that was a very strong calling. So ask those deep inner questions. Maybe going back to the meditation so if you can meditate on this stuff or do some journaling and kind of find ways to pull it out once you get to that point you have something that is really going to be a driving force to help push you along all the little hurdles of getting ready to do it that can remind you and that is really powerful as far as keeping you focused and keeping you uh, on that path now once you're committed to that path i think it's really important to, to do your homework to start researching it's never been easier to live this lifestyle than ever before I mean, companies are becoming more and more flexible with remote working and things like that. So if you have a job, it may not even be as difficult as trying to completely reinvent yourself or your career. You may just be able to take your career on the road. 
And maybe some people think, oh, my boss will never go for that or whatever. But if you can do your homework, create a pretty good sales pitch for why that this would benefit both sides and you know, you'd be more productive and allows you to tap into new markets or whatever, there's a lot of ways that you could spin this that, I mean, the success stories are kind of endless in today's world. I mean, it's happening all over the place. But if that's not the case and whatever, you, you still need to do your research and figure out, okay, what do I need to learn? Like, what, what's my equipment and my luggage situation gonna be like? Where are the places I wanna go? What are the visas, the paperwork, stuff like this? YouTube is an excellent resource. There's countless blogs. If you if you just Google any version of what we just said in, into the search bar, you're gonna find some great articles and things and people. Podcasts. Podcasts, yeah, I mean, that's my favorite medium, certainly. So there's tons and tons of resources out there. So just start learning. like make this a sector like some people have busy lives so maybe one day a week you commit thursday evening to just researching this for two or three hours and if you do that over the course of a couple months you're going to feel a lot better but also like for me it was really helpful was as i was on that path i started like naturally or at least in the past i think i used to be a bit more introverted and i would have those voices in my head like oh you know if you reach out to so and so they're just going to ignore you or you're kind of getting on their nerves or whatever i have all that stuff i don't feel that way anymore so i was just like the people that I was following that I idolize in a way of like, oh, they've figured this out. I would just send them a direct message, like Facebook message or leave a comment on one of their episodes or something and just ask a very specific question that I needed help with. Oh, how did you figure this out? Or what what did you do for your visa in that situation? Did you have to do visa runs? All these little complicated things that kind of seem out of our reach when you're at the first port. Um, it really helped because basically every single time that person responded to me in a very warm, congenial way, gave me good feedback, which built up my confidence level to keep going. And then before you know it, you know, you've, you've got your things figured out and, and here you are. Well, I'm sure that you will inspire a lot of people to get on the road. And yeah, it's great to see you on the road and doing it so successfully. Yeah, I mean, it feels good. Like in many ways in my heart, you know, we all have this intuition, but we have that, that little part in our heart that like really speaks to us about what we're supposed to do. And maybe some people haven't found it yet. And I haven't ultimately found it as far as a career or whatnot. But I knew that I had to travel. I knew that I had to go put myself out there, be a nomad. I knew there were people I was going to meet things I was going to experience, places I was going to see that like my soul was telling me I had to have that. And it was like almost torture being where I was and not having that yet. I mean, obviously everything happens for a reason. It was good timing. Everything's good. But yeah, it was just a deep inner calling that kind of really pushed me out the door. It's like, you got to do this. And that gave me a lot of motivation to get it done. It's great that you listened to that calling and didn't deny it and went to see the curiosity led you here. So yeah. Yeah. Well, if people want to follow you or learn more about what you're into, where can they find you? Yeah. So I am still just starting out with my digital uh, influence or outreach. So um, I'm in the process of building a blog. Um, it is going to be a bit of a work in progress with every other thing that I've got to do. So um, I have the URL, but it's not currently active. I'll go ahead and give it to you now. So hopefully that future listeners, when they get there, it won't just be like an under construction page. You'll actually see some full fledged articles and resources. And that is www.slynate.com, S-L-Y-N-A-T-E.com. So that will hopefully be my future digital home. And then um, as far as currently, you can follow me on Facebook at Nathan Wright. Um, I'm sure that you probably find me connected through Becky or through a podcast one way or another. So you know it's the right version, but uh, obviously reach out there. I post a ton of articles and different things like all the biohacking stuff and travels and good pictures. So it'd be a good way to keep up with uh, probably my most active channel. I also have an Instagram at Slynate, just S-L-Y-N-A-T-E, and uh, Twitter, uh, Slynate8, S-L-Y-N-A-T-E, and the digit eight. So those would be my best channels. All right, thank you very much. And thank you, and now you told me before we did this interview that you've listened to, you said thousands or- Maybe tens of thousands at this point. Of podcasts, yeah. yeah. And that this is your first interview, so I'm excited yeah. to have you on here and I'm sure it won't be your last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great, great opportunity. I really enjoyed it, so thank you. Thank you so much.
Wow. After interviewing Nathan, there was so much I had to go and research about all the different topics we discussed. And I have actually been given several links from Nathan that I'm putting on the website on the schooloftravels.com to let you research these things yourself because Nathan has spent a lot of time learning about them. And I think there is a lot to take away from this interview. Also, I forgot to mention the beginning of the show, but you may have noticed that there was some feedback. The recording was done a little bit differently with Nathan and I. We tried to do two microphones instead of the usual one that I use, and things got a little bit interesting. So I apologize if there, if there were a few times when it was hard to hear one of us, um, but I did my best, and I hope that you could still enjoy it. And I wanted to let you know that after the interview, the next day I did keep my promise to Nathan, and I went to the river in Bonsko, and I cold plunged with him. I will tell you my first time I did go up to my neck but only for about five seconds and I was stinging with pain that first time despite doing the breathing exercises with Nathan but it was a really good time and I actually found it addictive. So I've now been three different times and I'm even going to go again tomorrow with Nathan and a bigger group of people because it's becoming quite popular here in Bonsko for a group of us to go. So thank you, Nathan, for introducing this whole experience to me. And I encourage you guys to do it, especially on these hot summer days. If there's a way, you can either take a cold shower or get access to a cold river. If you're that lucky, I think you should go out and try it. And like Nathan said, it does wonders for telling your brain no and shutting off that give up signal and the no signal and just going for it. So thank you so much, Nathan, for introducing me to that and many other things. Um, I want to actually leave you this week with the travel quote, two things that Nathan said in the interview. So the first thing he said at one point was, even life's challenges create opportunities for learning. And I think that is such a fantastic outlook on life. And we should all remember that when traveling or just in our everyday situations. And he also said, which you might remember even more, he said, I can't promise you a long time, but I can promise you a good time. There could be many interpretations of that, but I think it, whenever I'm traveling, you know, it always is a fleeting thing. It's a brief thing, but I think that, you know, to make the most and the best of your moments is such a good way, again, to look at life. So yeah, I think, thank you, Nathan, for those quotes, travel or any day of your life. And I hope that you guys have a great week. I am going to be back to my regular program here, and we're going to bring you another interview from Bonsko with a couple next week. So we talked about nomad relationships a little bit in this episode, and I'm going to interview a very interesting couple next week, so you will want to come back for that. All right, I will see you then. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this